Hey, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Believe in the Jaguars right here on the Believe Podcast Network. I am Phil Smith, a.k.a. Phil the Filipino. Uh, and, and as always, I am joined by my co-host, Mr. James Johnson, the managing editor of the Jaguars Wire over on USA Today. And uh, Jay, you know, coming off another loss, the Jacksonville Jaguars will now fall to 1-5 and five on the year after falling to the Detroit Lions 34-16. to 16. I know going into the game over the weekend, Jay, you and I both kind of saw it going this way. Um, but, you know, it doesn't mean that you get any more, uh, I guess, used to these losses like this. But, uh, you know, regardless, excited to kind of break the da- the game down with you. And, you know, of course, hope you're doing OK as well. Yeah, honestly, you know, we did see a loss, but not to this degree. I think when you look at it, 34 to 16 to the Lions is not good. You know, I had it closer to the spread, a three-point loss, like 24, 27. I think it's in the uh, USA Today paper or what have you um, that we did for the uh, game previews. So, you know, it got way out of hand, way more out of hand than I thought it would. And it was embarrassing to say the least. But thankfully for me, I had a real busy weekend where I was helping my sister move and um, I didn't get to, you know, tune in like I normally do. It was just a busy day, but somehow, some way we managed to get up about six, seven posts on the day. Shout out to the crew. Uh, appreciate all the help that Will gave me in the morning and, uh, you know, everybody helping me out throughout, you know, you sending me the tweets and, and whatnot from the PR department. So we got through the day despite it being busy and, uh, you know, just me helping my sister move probably helped me to not watch a terrible game as much as I probably should have been, if you will, as the managing editor of the Jaguars Wire. So uh, that saved me some uh, some some torture, if you will. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, you certainly didn't miss too much uh, as far as the Jaguars side of thing. It was pretty uneventful, other than a little bit of excitement over our new kicker, who I imagine is not going to be our new kicker very much longer. We'll get into that here in just a moment let's take care of the housekeeping first really quick you guys again if you are enjoying the show please head over to apple podcast subscribe and rate and uh, leave us a five-star review that's one of the best ways you can support the show along with apple podcast we're also available on spotify google play stitcher luminary and tune in of course you can find us at believe.com and at believe podcast you can tweet us uh, you can tweet the show at believe in jags pod you can find myself at phil the filipino F-I-L-I-P-I-N-O, and Jay is over at sportsgrind underscore Dawn. And then just a quick reminder, you guys, this show is brought to you by betonline.ag. The NFL season is finally in full swing, and while a lot of us may not be at the games this year, we can still be in on the action at BetOnline. The World Series is also going on right now, Jay, and I know you're heartbroken over the fact that your Braves blew that 3-1 lead, and man, I just feel so bad for Atlanta sports teams. But one of the cool things they have going on right now is prop bets. You can do over-under on the amount of home runs, stolen bases, things like that. Those are the kind of things that I find a lot more interesting in terms of bet online. You know, from game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, bet online gives you more options to wager than any other place online. And there's always the online casino as well. It literally never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. So that being said, you guys, let's take a look at the offensive side of the box score here. Jay, I feel like just last week, a couple weeks ago, I should say, we were saying you don't ever want Gardner Minshew to throw the football 49 times. And then he goes ahead and they throw it with him 
44 times. Now, of course, they were trailing pretty much the entire game. He ended up uh, with 25 of 44, 243 yards, one touchdown, and one interception. Uh, Jay, James Robinson was just absolutely shut down. Easily his worst game thus far. 12 carries for 29 yards. And then in terms of receiving only four catches, 24 yards. Now, he did have a touchdown and showed that burst off again. So when he was able to create, he definitely did. Uh, Keelan Cole had himself another solid day. Six catches, 143 yards. DJ Chark, who we'll get to here in just a moment, he had some interesting things to say in his presser post-game. Seven catches, 45 yards. Uh, but other than that, Jay, it was pretty quiet. Gardner Minshew also had a fumble that was lost, uh, a strip sack, I believe. Um, but just overall, offensively, continuing to look stagnant. And, you know, when when we were very excited with the first couple of weeks in terms of Jay Gruden's offense, all of that shine has just seemed to go away. So in terms of the offensive side of things, from what you did get to see, you know, what stood out to you as far as the Jaguars' performance? Yeah, I mean, Keelan Cole continued, if we're talking about positives, he continued to show, you know, what me and you had said earlier in the year and that's that he deserves a new contract extension but then again like that's a hard sell to make to Keelan Cole like hey you want to stick around and take a contract extension when uh the situation is the way that it is albeit you know I have personal theories that it won't be all doom and gloom for long we'll kind of talk about that later um but right now you know what I'm saying it's not a lot to sell in terms of hope in terms of what they have right now. But Keelan Cole definitely did his thing, continues to show that connection with Gardner Minshew. Had six catches for 143 yards, as you said. Uh, he was one of the receiving leaders on the day in the whole league, by the way. So, you know, he's a guy that continues to grow, continues to develop. A guy that, again, like we said in the past, you know, he was kind of buried under the depth chart with Jacksonville Jaguars, and he's managed to find his way atop the depth chart and has also earned a new contract extension, which hopefully he will get with the Jacksonville Jaguars. So we're talking about a guy really that surpassed Chris Conley. You know, I think like Chris Conley at this point is an afterthought if you're talking about him getting extended, uh, you know, when when the GM and whoever the coach is have these conversations at the end of the year. Keelan Cole's name is definitely going to come up and they are going to definitely consider whether or not they need to re-sign this guy. And they probably, I mean, just looking at how Chris Conley has played, will be okay with letting Chris Conley hit free agency and so on and so forth. That's just how great this season has been for him. Um, as you said, man, like the Jacksonville Jaguars, in terms of passing the ball, did that a little too much, 44 attempts by Gardner Minshew so coming out of the half or should I say after halftime heading into the third quarter the score was 17 to 3 so you know hypothetically there was time to go back to the run game however I guess the issue there was the the run lanes were simply getting shut down by this Detroit Lions defense which was 30th against the rush coming into the game so I guess that presented a problem in itself and uh, that may explain as to why Gardner Minshew ended up with 44 attempts. So, I mean, aside from that, man, it's just not really much to say uh, aside from, you know, this this offense just keeps declining on a week-to-week basis. And uh, the defense, who we'll talk on as well, isn't really doing them any favors. But, you know, that, as you said, that hope that we had for Jay Gruden and that excitement we had for Jay Gruden is slowly beginning to fade, as well as all of the Minshew mania stuff in addition to that <laughs> it seems like we are 
a very, very long way away from Minshew mania. I remember those days. Uh, <laughs> those were good times. It was a simpler time as well. I, I, you can definitely feel not only the fan base, Jay, but maybe even his own receivers kind of coming to uh, terms with, you know, maybe his limitations. And, you know, with that being said, Jay, I want us to go ahead and get into the DJ chart clip so we can kind of break that down because he doesn't say a lot, but he also says quite a bit all at the same time. You had seven catches today, but the defense was pretty much locked on you. What were they doing to make life difficult for you and your receiver core today? I mean, I felt like we was open. Uh, yeah. All right. Thanks, Alex. Let's go over to Mio O'Brien. Hey, DJ, kind of building off of that a little bit. I know last week, Gardner and, you know, you guys struggled to get you involved, especially early on. Did you see any changes in the approach to get you more involved in the offense? Um, we tried. We did some things. Uh, I felt like it was a play, a post that I should have had. Um, But, yeah, you know, I feel like their defense came out. They played well, but I feel like as receivers, you know, we got open. Um, we have to get on the same page. And we have to move the ball more efficient so that we don't get into a point where we're just throwing the ball and they can just sit back and not do anything. So, yeah, Jay, I feel like it was a couple of weeks ago that I pointed out that, you know, eventually players are just going to get fed up and tired of losing. and. This reminds me a lot of the famous clip now of, you know, Allen Robinson, you know, being overthrown by Blake Bortles in camp and him, you know, saying, keep the ball in bounds. And of course, I'm, you know, toning that down a little bit for our audience. But this reminds me a lot about that. Now, we here as Jaguar fans, of course, just over the last couple of years, I, I, I'm sorry to reiterate this, but have, of course, let top notch talent just slip through our fingers between Allen Robinson Jalen Ramsey, Yannick Ngakwe, of course, AJ Boye and Clayus Campbell are now gone. Of course, that was a those were those two situations were totally different. But this should worry everybody because based on his tone and just his body language, if you guys have seen the presser, it's not good. So Jay, you know, of course, you're a former player. What did you take away from what he was saying without really actually saying it? You know. Yeah, just like you said, his tone and just looking at him. If you visually look at the presser, you know, he looks frustrated and flustered, you know, at the circumstances. And again, uh, I watched, you know, sporadically, I watched the game. But, you know, if we look, go back and look at the weeks before this, one thing that has been an issue is, you know, Gardner is, has developed this this happy feet type of deal where, you know, and he even said it, you know, I've I've talked about that in the past that you know it calls him to misreads and so on and so forth that could be a good bulk of what dj chark is talking about i know i did see one play in particular and i actually saw this one live as it was happening uh he threw uh, and i'm talking about Minshew here he threw a duck up in the air for chark the one that ended up being his only interception of the day and the uh defensive back i forgot who it was but the defense back went up and got it and you know the funny thing about that play actually was I reflected, I instantly, and I actually tweeted about this, reflected back to last week against the Texans when I talked about the duck that was thrown to Chris Conley. Had the defensive back been able to track the ball and, 
you know, I guess he kind of panicked because Conley got behind him and he never tracked the ball. But had he been able to track the ball, that could have been a pick or a pass deflection. This time, Minshew wasn't as lucky to throw the same type of a throw because the actual defensive back was looking at the quarterback or he was uh, able to track the ball at the least. And it didn't end all that well for the team. So, you know, you see stuff like that. That's probably what DJ Chark, uh, one of the things that has him frustrated and flustered. You see things like that. That just goes back to the frustration, man. He's probably just sick and tired of, you know, to play at quarterback or being missed when he's open and so on and so forth. Again, we got to look at the film for the Lions game. But, you know, after a while, that kind of wears thin on your patience. Uh, But at the same time, you know, you just got to be professional about it, which he was. Um, He didn't call out Minshew. He didn't say his name specifically. He didn't point a finger at him. But he said it without saying it. And, you know, it's funny. Like, it's a whole 360. I'll say this to end it all. It's a whole 360 from what we were hearing in training camp and so on and so forth. Remember, I don't know if you can recall this, Phil, but it was Chris Conley saying, yeah, man, we totally believe in this guy. Uh, during, I think it was training camp when uh, people were questioning if Leonard Fournette believed in Gardner Minshew. And then basically Chris Conley came up the bat for him. And now it's the total opposite. At least, you know, it's not the same person. But now you got DJ Chark saying like in a roundabout way, like our quarterback is not all that great and he, he's missing reads. So you know, when for Gardner's sake, that probably doesn't feel all that great. But at the same time, uh, it's up to Gardner to play better. And it's up to Gardner to hang in there and stick in the pocket and make the throws when necessary and, and you know, hit his receivers the right way and so on and so forth. And he hasn't been doing that, especially the last three weeks. Yeah, like you said, DJ, I don't think we'll ever find himself, uh, we'll ever hear him, I should say, throw anybody else under the bus. But at the same time, the receiving crew is their all of their success is tied to Gardner Minshew or whoever the quarterback is going to be. So like you said, he said a lot without actually saying it. And when you have another guy here like DJ Chark, who at the time seems happy to be here and really happy to be part of the future of this team, you definitely don't want that kind of attitude after a game. Of course, any player is going to be upset after a loss, but when they have their own specific frustrations and receivers are a different breed, man. Jay, you can probably speak to that. Like receivers are different. While DJ Chark, of course, hasn't displayed any kind of those wide receiver diva tendencies. doesn't mean that they don't, they don't want the ball. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, we'll, we'll see how that goes. You know, um, thing I do want to add to that too is, and he's doing it the right way, but you know, if you're DJ, you, you want to be extremely careful uh, with, you know, what you're saying and the vibes you're sending out as well, because, Let's not forget, DJ Chart was a pro bowler last year and was highly successful last year and got on the map last year. And let's be honest about it. You know, the guy that helped him do it definitely wasn't Nick Foles as well. So I think that's why, you know, I think that's why he took the approach that he did. He didn't really call Gardner Minshew by name. But at the same time, you know, you still said a lot without saying a lot. But I mean, you know, I guess you could say, what is he to do? Just, you know, sit there and just keep it to himself. Uh, but again, like I'm just I'm just throwing it out there, you know, not a Gardner Minshew fan by any means. But at the same time, the success that DJ Chark has had was under Gardner Minshew. And, that, you know, now that I think about it, that might be the frustrating part about it. It's like, where's this guy that I saw last year? You know what I'm saying? That was hitting me up and down the field uh, that I was on the same page with that wasn't missing me uh, for 30 yard bombs and so on and so forth. I, you know, now that I think about it, it's starting to make sense and I'm starting to put it together. 
he misses the guy that he saw last year in uh in Gardner Minshew who you know played at a high level and made people and and convinced the front office and coaching staff to hey uh you know I deserve a chance in 2020 which they gave him and now he's kind of not playing to the level or the expectations that people had of him but again you know that's what happens like what you were saying Phil that's what happens when you pass up on high quarterback talent for years and years and years and you you know as a, a front office you know you get too arrogant to the point to admit your mistake at the most important position on the field. And let's talk about that opportunity here, Jay, because you and I both agreed that he had done enough in the first season to warrant this chance. Now, what he does with it is kind of up to him. Of course, two weeks in, it's trending very well. And you and I openly had the conversation about, hey, maybe we need to talk about him playing his way into the future of this team. Now, in the last four weeks, that has not been the case. So let's talk about some comments that Doug Marone made here before we get into the offensive game ball and then move to the defensive side of things as well, because there's some stuff because there's definitely some stuff to talk about there. Um, And this is uh, from Mike DiRocco over on ESPN. He said Coach Marone said he never considered benching Minshew despite his struggles during the team's 34 to 16 loss to the Lions, but he didn't rule out taking that step if things don't get better. He said, quote, maybe in the future, I think. I mean, I'd be naive to say that's a possibility. That's up for any position, any play that we can do for ourselves to get better. But no, I didn't feel that way during the course of the game. Now, what Duraco points out here is, is very true. The fact that he doesn't rule out that he would take out Minshew means that, you know, unless he goes on just just this MVP-like run for the remainder of the season, then there's an opportunity that Minshew, Minshew may be gets pulled now of course i think selfishly wanting to snag one of these top tier quarterbacks in next year's draft we just like to see him play this out you know i don't really have any interest in seeing what mike glennon has because i don't know how you feel about it i'm okay with Minshew staying around and being our backup quarterback remember the most popular guy in the city is the backup quarterback and Minshew is already one of the most popular guys around so you know what did you think of these comments made by doug marone again i think saying a lot without saying very much at all I'll say this, it kind of feel like deja vu, you know, in terms of what he said, because last year, you know, around, well, not around this time, it was week 10 that Nick Foles came back into the game. But that was the thing last year was like, there was a decision to be made at quarterback in terms of a change as well. And now here we are a year later and, you know, we're not ruling out a change coming, you know, around week 10 or later in the future as well. So it's just a, you know what I'm saying? It's a, a turnstile at the quarterback position, it feels like. And that's not to say Doug Marone said he'll be benched or there's a higher percentage that he'll be benched and, and so on and so forth. But what I'm saying is we still evidently don't have that guy. We didn't have him last year. We don't have him this year. And that's why it feels like deja vu. And you don't want that as a franchise. You know, I would prefer not to be thinking about who's going to be my quarterback week 10 for two years straight you know I just would prefer to just know who the guy is you know just speaking from the fan base's perspective and that's just simply not good and again that's just you know it speaks volumes about how this team is done at the quarterback position now you know we can't say if he'll be benched down the road or not one thing I will say though is if you are one of the people worried about a change with Mike Glennon in in terms of that affecting the draft positioning I'm just be honest with you, just from 
what I can remember on Mike Glennon, I don't think you have to worry about, you know, Mike Glennon turning this team around and accidentally winning the game for you. So I wouldn't really worry about that from that perspective. If anything, you know, it's a it's maybe a possibility that Minshew could win you more games down the stretch than than Glennon would. So for me, I think it'll be a downgrade in a way if you go to Glennon. But um, that's just sure. my personal perspective um, on, on that. But, you know, regardless, uh, it's just a time will tell thing what they do regarding the Minshew. Um, and we'll just have to wait and see if they really, truly go down that road. That's that's if another thing to consider here, you know, Doug Marone might be fired, albeit Shark Khan has been very patient. We You never know. Shark Khan might wake up one day. If we get smacked around by the Chargers, for example, he might wake up one day and say, hey, look, enough is enough. You know, like I've seen all I needed to see. We've lost the three teams that were winless previously. We lost to the Detroit Lions. In all honesty, for me, to be honest with you, the whole thing about seeing how we finish, the thing that he said at the Lot J meeting or whatever the thing, I, I don't know if I buy that because, like, I feel like the writing's on the wall. And it's like, what more do you need to see after losing three consecutive games to winless teams? It's like there's nothing else to see. Your mind should be made up whether you wait till Black Monday or not. That's another thing. But your mind should be probably made up as to what you're going to do. I'm 100% with you in terms of the Mike Lennon thing. Definitely don't think that's any kind of upgrade in any way. We've seen Mike Lennon. The NFL has seen Mike Lennon. There is nothing left for him to prove. I definitely think he was brought in here, you know, as a kind of a additional coach kind of role. And that's totally fine if he has to play, you know, in case of God forbid some kind of injury, then that's fine. But I don't think you ever <laughs> make a football decision that involves Mike Glennon. Hope that you get better. I'm sorry. No, disrespect. I've never met Mike Lennon in person. I'm sure he's a very nice person. I, I, <laughs> but let's let's be real here. Um, but Jay, you know, before we move into the defensive side of things, you know, we already talked about it here a little bit. You know, we're going to give the offensive game ball to Keelan Cole again, continuing to prove that he needs uh, they need to do everything they can to keep him around. Um, as you mentioned, you know, if things continue to go the way that they have been, you just kind of worry that someone is going to snatch him up and pair him with, you know, a top tier quarterback or something along those lines. But I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to add on. But Keelan Cole definitely getting the offensive game ball. I'll say this. When you were talking about that, what came to mind, as crazy as this sounds, um, the Jaguars got so much cap space next year. Not only could they re-sign Keelan Cole, that's if he wants to be here, but if he, if he doesn't want to be here, they could franchise tag him, which it was just a funny thought that just came through my mind. you imagine? <laughs> yeah, I mean, then, then again, man, you know. Again, you never know. Maybe down the road, if there is a coaching change, you know, you get this bright offensive mind that speaks to Keelan and says, like, hey, look, man, we got good plans for you. Um, but it's on you if you want to sign with us and maybe kind of convincing him to, to come back or whatever the case may be. But, yeah, that was just a little crazy thought I had running through my mind at the moment while you were talking about that. So Keelan Cole right now, Jay, makes a little bit over $3 million, okay? If he were to be franchise tagged, he would get, as far as the 2020 numbers go, he would get $17.8 million if he was franchised. I, I don't think that would happen, but who knows? Crazier things have, have happened in the NFL. But I like you said, they need to do everything they can to hang on to Keelan and pair him you know, with uh, with DJ Chark, with LaVisca, with Colin Johnson, all these guys. Because I think we, as we mentioned, fully expect, of course, D.D. Westbrook, what writing's on the wall for him as well. Um, Chris Conley, as great as he has been here in the community, you know, maybe they keep him around and put him on. I don't know. I don't know that he would do special teams at really at this point in his career. You know what I mean? I don't know if that's really a thing, but really I can see them wanting to 
keep him around for culture fit. You know what I mean? Because he's been so great here, um, but we're not 100% sure. Uh, I was kind of just baffled that Colin Johnson was so involved last week. And then I honestly had to tell, ask myself after the game, did he even play? I don't even remember seeing him out there. So, you know, a lot of things that they have to figure out. But let's move over to the defensive side of the ball here, Jay. Now, of course, they trailed early. Um Looking at DeAndre Swift having his best game so far. I mean, DeAndre Swift actually just loves playing at TIAA. Let's just be honest. He's had, he has had a lot of success in that stadium. He finished with 14 carries, 116 yards, and two touchdowns. Uh, Jay, we talked about it. Now, TJ Hawkinson, I expected him to have a really good day, but he did have a touchdown catch, uh, one of uh, which was actually the only one that Matthew Stafford ended up throwing. He went 19 of 31. 223 yards that aforementioned touchdown and then an interception um he didn't carve us up like i thought he would but it sure seemed like you know they were committed to the run game as well adrian peterson 15 carries 40 yards carry on johnson got involved in the passing game a little bit he, well he only had one catch actually i should say but uh, he had the four carry or, i'm sorry he had uh, four carries for nine yards not too much from him um, but overall you know as far as the lions it, if you look at the stat sheet Outside of DeAndre Swift's two touchdowns, you wouldn't think that this thing was a blowout, but it certainly felt that way. What's up, Jags fans? My name is Jacob DeLawrence. Some of you may recognize this voice from back in the day with the Jaguars Den podcast, but I am coming to you right here in the middle of your Believe in the Jaguars podcast to simply let you know that, hey, if you're a fan of pro wrestling, feel free to check out the Believe in NXT podcast hosted by yours truly, Jacob DeLawrence, and my co-host, Mr. Cedric Welton. Yeah, so if you like wrestling, make sure you tap in. We got all the gems for you. If you like Minshew Magic, you're going to love what you hear over here. Come for the sidebars, stay for the wrestling. Exactly. That's right there on the Believe in XT podcast. We're available. Same place that you got the Believe in Jaguars podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Luminary, TuneIn, Google Play, have podcasts, we'll travel. Appreciate you guys for checking us. Now we're going to get you right back to that Jaguar talk. Yeah, so much like I did with the offense, I'll start with the good on defense. Uh, Joe Schobert had a good day. He had 10 total tackles, uh, tackle for loss, had a pass deflection, had a quarterback hit. Uh, so, you know, most people that I saw, they were tweeting that, you know, he had basically his best game, arguably, since joining the Jacksonville Jaguars. And me and you have actually talked on that. You know, he struggled so far. And to be honest with you, I think what could help him is maybe moving to a 3-4. You know, I mean, that can help a lot of this defense, to be honest with you, because I feel like we got more 3-4 pieces than 4-3 uh, pieces, except for on the line, which is, that probably explains why the Jaguars can't move to a 3-4 like that, because they simply don't have the linemen, but they have everything else to do so. Uh, but, yeah, I digress from my point. Joe Schobert had arguably his best game as a Jacksonville Jaguar. And the other guy that I saw stand out, and this is probably going to... Um, make people even more depressed was Jabal Sheard. Now that I think about it, the pass rusher uh, that we picked up, he formerly played for the Colts. Um, I saw him get a couple pressures on the day. He also got a penalty too for a late hit. Uh, but unfortunately, the Jacksonville Jaguars unwisely left him on their practice squad for some reason. And we were revealed or we were uh, told today that uh, the New York Giants picked him up off the practice squad. So he's been poached much like Alan Lazard. So this team that needed a pass rush and so on and so forth, albeit we got the news about Josh Allen. He is likely coming back. It looks like, um, you know, they lost a guy that could probably help them defensively down the road. 
uh, for whatever reason, they didn't put him on the active roster and now they're paying the cost for that. Uh, but then again, if you're like, you know, some other people who want to tank for Trevor or tank for whoever, uh, this doesn't really hurt you from that perspective. And maybe you're even glad that the Jetsville lost or the Jaguars lost a player that basically, you know, looked pretty much like the best pass rusher on the team as of Sunday. Um, again, Josh Allen is coming back, so maybe that's why they didn't put him on the active roster. Uh, but, yeah, those were some of the guys I felt like stood out on my end from what I could watch in the process of moving and trying to write. Um, I don't know about you, if you had any guys that you wanted to shout out or you felt that stood out on your end. Not really too much outside of who you mentioned, of course. Joe Schober definitely had his best game as a Jaguar, and it came at a good time. You know, even though the team didn't play very well, if they – if they went into this game and they played as poorly as they did, and Joe Schobert also had a bad game, then that would just the pitchforks would have gotten even, you know, even heavier for 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 him because people, the fan base has not been happy with Joe Schobert's performance. Sidney Jones, I know, did go out with an injury, but he did almost have an interception early on. So again, continued to look well. Um, I'm not sure if you've heard anything in terms of he came back in. Did he come back? Yeah, I was trying to remember. Honestly, that game is kind of a blur to me. I have not gotten a chance to go back and, and rewatch it. But, you know, the all these games and these losses now just start to kind of blur together. Uh, but outside of that, you know, C.J. Henderson, we, we uh, when we were talking with Big Cat from Honolulu Blue last week, you know, thought that maybe he would get a little bit of a welcome to the NFL moment. And he certainly did in some points with Kenny Galladay, you know, definitely uh, took advantage of maybe a little bit of an experience. Um, but, you know, uh, He's still, of course, still learning, so you can't really hold too much against him. But just a defensive unit as a whole and that and Todd Wash continuing to have a job, which, you know, Doug Marone seemed to double down on is just it, this is what we're go- we're going to have to get used to this, guys. What it was the fifth straight game now with giving up 30 plus points. So this is what it's going to be the rest of the year, guys. So uh, there's not really too much else to add on to that. Yeah, Phil, something. Well, I do want to add this on, and I asked this question on Twitter. It's kind of odd, like, for Doug Marone to say what he did. I don't know if you saw this tweet, but you remember, like, the way that Nate Hackett went out, who was a very, it seemed like a very close friend with Doug Marone, who had been with him since his days, at least since Syracuse. Uh, It felt like, you know, Nate Hackett was sent out in a way that, kind of feels like he was blindsided and I remember writing this article on the Jaguars wire um, and it was basically it was either the Times Union or Ian Rappaport or somebody spoke on uh, speaking with Nate Hackett after he was fired and Nate's words quote unquote were and this is not the whole quote but just uh, some of it was it's a shock in other words it's a shock that I'm being fired. Um, And in a sense, just to make some sense of it, basically how Nate explained it to Rappaport or the Times Union, it was one of the two, um, is that he thought he was getting called basically because of the transition from Blake Bortles, who was playing like trash at the time, uh, to Cody Kessler, basically, you know, just making a move at quarterback and moving on from Blake Bortles for the season or, or whatever the case may be. And he wasn't indeed getting a call from that from Doug Marone or whoever it was in the Jaguars organization that called him to alarm him or whoever contacted him to let him know about his firing. That wasn't what he was getting called for, but that's what he was expecting to get the call for is the the move at quarterback. Instead, he was kind of blindsided just how he explained it in his interview by 
the fact that the team was actually firing him. But like all I'm saying is just to in in a nutshell is what Doug Marone said about Todd Wash. I'm wondering like where that was in terms of keeping Nate Hackett, somebody who he, it seemed like he was close with. You know, he never came out the bat for Hackett like that. It felt like at least. And I don't know, like now that I think about it, I don't know if it was like that Tom Coughlin, because Tom Coughlin was in the front office at times and he was, I mean, at that time and he was running things. It makes you wonder, like, did Tom Coughlin, was he behind Nate Hackett getting fired and, you know, Marone didn't have no say in that? And now that Marone can actually, you know, bat for his guys, he's bat for Todd Washington saying basically, like, as long as I'm here, he's going to be here or whatever the case may be. You know, I just found that interesting. And uh, I don't know if you caught on to that as well, but um, I just was curious to know your thoughts on that as well. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. That's... <laughs> You know, for him to be so willing to, you know, go down with the ship in terms of this Todd Wash thing, but not do the exact same thing, you know, with with Nathaniel Hackett, that is that's definitely strange and something I had not even thought about. You know, what is it about this relationship that's just made? Maybe he knows that the writing is on the wall again, like we talked about before, and he's just going to go down with his guys. So maybe that's it. But that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, you might you might be on to something like. Uh, what you said there is probably a case of, you know, that scene in the Titanic where the orchestra is just going out together. They playing the music together as the ship basically drowns. Maybe, you know, like Doug Marone's kind of looking at it, that like that situation. Like, look, we're all going out together as a group. I'm not firing anybody. I'm not firing my offensive coordinator. I'm not firing my defensive coordinator. I'm not firing my special teams guy. Now, if I get fired before the season, then, you know, they can feel free to do whatever. But you know, I'm just going to keep this staff intact and I'm going to hang on to my guys to the very end. Maybe that's a case of what we're witnessing. Well, either way, it's going to cost him his job. And, you know, at least we expect that to be the end result when it's all said and done. Um, but, you know, of course, we're talking about a lot about the co- current coaching staff here, Jay. But before we wrap up, you know, let's talk about the future here just a little bit, because, of course, things are not going very well here in Jacksonville. So it's natural for us to, as a fan base to, you know, and as, as a podcast, really, to kind of look ahead, which is why we want to discuss this article that came out here from Jeremy Fowler and Dan Graziano over on ESPN that went up uh, earlier today here, Jay, just talking about, you know, any coaching openings that might be coming up here uh, relatively soon, whether it be during the season or after the season. And there's a little snip in here in here about the Jacksonville Jaguars and says many potential coaches look at it as one uh, as far as a sneaky good job goes. Uh, the Jaguars roster is already stripped down, but has young talent in spots, not many bloated contracts and 10 draft picks and counting in 2021, including a shot at the number one pick. Should Doug Marone get fired before the season ends? He's 23 and 33 over four plus seasons in Jacksonville. It's not out of the question that offensive coordinator Jay Gruden could ascend to the interim spot and depending on how the season goes, get the job full time. But that is a lot of ifs. Now, Jay, I definitely wouldn't be. uh, I'm definitely not in support of them just making Jay Gruden essentially the new head coach, uh, pretty much exactly what they did with Doug Marone and promoting somebody in-house. I, I mean, if this goes the way that I think that it's going to go, then I just want a clean sweep in terms of everything. So what do you think about a couple of things here? One, the prospect of Jay Gruden possibly getting the job, but also them acknowledging what you and I have talked about consistently over the last couple of weeks, actually, that this should be a pretty attractive destination for a potential head coach. 
Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting. Me and you have banged the table, and me and uh, Jamal St. Cyr, I hope I'm saying his uh, name right, from News 4 Jacks, we actually talked about this on Twitter, uh, because I, I mentioned that I feel like the job is is not necessarily, I don't want to say necessarily more attractive than, like, the Falcons and the Houston Texans job, but at the same time, the people that will consider Atlanta's job and will consider Houston's job, they're certainly not going to overlook the Jaguars job, albeit the Jaguars don't have a franchise quarterback like those two teams are. And the reason for that is because the Jacksonville Jaguars are eyeing, as they said in the article, as and as me and you have kind of said, they're eyeing a first to second overall pick, maybe fourth at worst at the point they're playing. I mean, with Todd Wash defense going out there continually, you got to think it's top four pick. Uh, you know, so a coaching candidate will look at that and say, like, while they don't have a franchise quarterback, they at least do have a guy in Gardner Minshew who can, you know, at least hold it down until, you know, we're ready to put our first round guy out there. And that's that's just it. You know what I'm saying? We have the potential to get our guy in the draft with a top four overall pick. And again, going back to what I was saying about the salary cap, the Jaguars are projected right now to have over 80 million in salary cap. So with that being the case, I mean, you're going to be leading the way in salary cap as well, league wide in terms of the whole league. I think they overtaken the Colts in that category as well. The Colts were first and now the Jags are. So you're going to have a boatload of money. You're going to have a boatload of draft picks as well, not just having a top four draft pick, but you're going to have over 10 draft picks next year. You know, if you're looking in terms of the long term, that's definitely an appealing job and a lot of ammunition to have. And I think like even on a grander scale, I think like that's more appealing. When you look at it, it's more appealing for a GM more so than a head coach because the GM looks at the long term future. And I've always said it's like the head coach kind of looks at the short term future. So for the GM, they're really going to look at it uh, more so than the coaches. The GM's going to really look at what the Jacksonville Jaguars have. And in addition, we talked about this last week, the patience that Shahid Khan has had. People can be mad all they want about Doug Marone and Todd Wash not being fired. But the GM candidates are going to look at that and they're going to be like, hey, Dave Caldwell was there almost a decade. I feel comfortable with this man in terms of what he says he's going to give me in terms of a, a timeline. So there's that as well. So I can see why this job would be appealing in terms of the um, John Gruden or the Jay Gruden thing. I mean, with his head coaching experience, of course, you're going to hear people throw his name out there in terms of being the interim guy. Um, but again, like you said, what is needed is a clean slate in the end. Yeah, sure. He could be the interim guy. Uh, for X amount of weeks or whatever the case may be. But Shad Khan would be definitely making a mistake if he uh, probably makes Jay Gruden the next head coach of this team in terms of permanently. Uh, because, again, the half measure thing doesn't work, and he's tried it in the past, and here we are. So hopefully Shad Khan has learned his lesson and doesn't take another half measure. Absolutely. And there are going to be, I feel like, I mean, as, as with every year, there are going to be a lot of really uh, – good uh, candidates out there for both GM as well as head coach. And this is, they, they have an opportunity to come in and just completely change the culture. You can bring in, you, of course you already have the established pieces that you've taken over the last couple of years, but then you can also pair a brand new quarterback possibly along with a brand new GM and a brand new head coach. And honestly, 
all three of those things don't really come along very often at the same time. So I think they would be absolutely out of their mind to stick with Jay Gruden, you know, and, and as we mentioned in the last few weeks, the offense has not looked too great. So um, I would, I would like to see them go with an outside hire for sure. Yeah. And, and one more thing too, is, you know, if you, if you're especially, I can see why this article might be accurate towards, and again, maybe they were just speculating in the article. It's not clear, but I can see why this could be appealing, especially to an offensive minded coach. Because again, like I said, Minshew's here. He's on a dirt cheap contract. You could trade him or you can even keep him if you don't want to throw your first round rookie out of there. But even to a a grander scale, an offensive mind is going to look at this offensive core, which is probably the strength of this team. They're going to look at it like, hey, I got this young James Robinson on a undrafted free agent contract. I can run the ball. I can protect my quarterback. Hey, I got LaVisca Chenault who's ascending. Uh, we just mentioned Keelan Cole, if you can hang on to him and convince him if you're an offensive mind to stay. Uh, we have DJ Chark, a pro bowler. They're going to look at that offensive core. And while people, you know, want to knock the Jacksonville Jaguars, I do think like a Eric B. Enemy, if he is the offensive mind that he says he is, or or he's the offensive mind that we hype him up to be, should I say, he's going to look at those things. And he can't ignore those things that, hey, there are some pieces over there that's on dirt cheap contracts uh, that I could build around. And I will have a key to getting my quarterback in the top two picks or top four picks, wherever the Jags end up landing. Jay, I want to ask you a, a question uh, based on something that, and, and usually I don't like to listen to him too much, but Stephen A. Smith mentioned something. And I want to get your opinion on this. And this is going to turn into a little bit more of a serious conversation here, guys. With Eric Bieniemy, um, you know, we, of course, are, we, we were, everyone has been incredibly impressed with what the Chiefs have done, but also, you know, they have maybe the greatest quarterback of all time playing over there in Kansas City. From your perspective, you know, as an African-American male, and you look at the history of black coaches in the league, not really necessarily getting second or third chances, you know, whatever we've seen. If you're a guy like Eric Bieniemy, and there might be other uh, opportunities that are out there, who knows, the Jets, the New York Jets might come available, well, probably are going to come available, other coaching positions, knowing the history of the league and not handing out those additional chances, would you be worried at all coming to a franchise like Jacksonville, who for 25 plus years has had trouble remaining consistent since the 90s, really? No, I would... Because my thing is, as an African-American, we talk about this a lot, ownership. You know what I'm saying? Ownership is a key thing that minorities in the journalism field talk about. And while Shot Khan hasn't done the best deals in terms of with the city, and we talked about the Lie J thing and so on and so forth. One Again, one thing that I cannot take away from Shot Khan is his patience. And as an African-American, I'm looking for the most patient owner in terms of if I'm an African-American coach or a GM, I'm looking for the most patient owner and the most lenient owner who's going to give me the correct timeline to do what I got to do and succeed. And from that perspective, you know, if you're being me, you know, I don't know if he's going to like highly consider the Jacksonville Jaguars, but that's something that you, you know, as African-American, you have to say, you know, that, that has to be atop your list on your checkbox. It's like, hey, this guy will give me X amount, at least if, if Dave Caldwell got a decade, the enemy should get four years. Or, or should I say if if uh well, I, if we're talking about it on a coach level, 
what Marone's been here four years. The enemy should get the same amount of time, especially considering it's going to be a pretty much a whole new rebuild, if you will, from that perspective. So, you know, it that's the one thing that Shad Khan has that maybe uh, would make the job more appealing for African-Americans and minorities uh, than league wide or elsewhere. And, you know, it's other teams out there that uh, you could say, that has helped them in the past. Like I would think like, for example, I think it was cat was telling us with the Miami dolphins, right? You look at how lenient they've been with coaches. They typically keep them four years and the GMs for four years, you know, while people hate or might not like Steven Ross for other reasons, Brian, for Brian Flores probably looked at that situation and said, Hey, Steven Ross is going to give me the correct and proper amount of time to get things done there. Maybe that's why I should go to Miami. And, you know, he probably went to Bill Belichick and said, like, do you think this is a good idea? So on and so forth with Flores being under Belichick. And Belichick probably said, yeah, like that's, you know, he's lenient. He gives you the proper amount of time. The coaches there in the past have had a lot of time. The GMs as well. Uh, that's something, you know, especially as an African-American that you should value. And I think, you know, that might actually help Shad Khan as, uh, you know, bad as the franchise has been over, you know, the last 18 to 19 years. OK, good. Well, that's a great answer. You know, uh, I'm, I'm glad, you know, of course, we always here at Believe in the Jaguars always openly and candidly have conversations like this. And we continue, we will continue to, uh, just so you guys know, if you have, if you are new to the show. So I just wanted to ask that question because, you know, even though, as I mentioned before, I, I try not to listen to Stephen A too much, especially when it comes to football, but he does make a point in terms of, you know, not everybody is the Pittsburgh Steelers where Mike Tomlin has been there for a long run. You know what I'm saying? So um, I just wonder if a, a guy like Eric Bieniemy, who's, who's going to get this opportunity eventually for sure, I, I feel, you know, would uh, would have any kind of pause coming here to Jacksonville. But you're right. Shad Khan has proven that he has a lot of patience. And I think he knows that in terms of the Gus Bradley situation that was handled, you know, the incorrect way. So I think and, and with everything that went on with the NFLPA over the offseason, I, I think they're definitely working very hard to try and change the image of the team for sure. So, um, yeah, one thing I had to feel even as, as much as we don't like the Gus Bradley situation, me and you have kind of said that they could have went a better way about that too. You know, you could argue that Gus Bradley really still, even with how they ended, got more time than he deserved because wasn't he like knocking on the door for one of the worst records for a head coach regardless? Oh yeah, it was. So I mean, again, yeah. yeah, like again, you don't fire a guy before you get on the plane, but at the same time, like some people would even go as far as saying keeping Gus Bradley as long as they did was still too long. You know, that's the point I'm trying to make. So, right. You know, like again, that kind of goes back to say that shotgun in a way, albeit he did it in a nasty way. He's been patient with all of the guys he's hired in terms of running this team. This is very true, you guys. So, you know, we want to hear from you. Uh, of course, over on Twitter, we'll maybe we'll put out a poll or something in terms of who you guys would like to see here in, in terms of head coaching position, because uh, I don't see us going on some kind of crazy run and finishing the season 11 and five. I, I don't think that's going to happen, you guys. So just buckle up and, and get comfortable. And, you know, hopefully of course that everybody stays really healthy because at this point of the year, you know, it, it seems like everybody, every team is having their own issues. And when it comes to COVID, but you know, Jay, that's it for this episode. We are going to move on to the Los Angeles Chargers. And of course, right now we are working on collabing with Believe in the Chargers, uh, which is hosted by AZ LaRue. And also Chargers legend, Jay Lorenzo Neal. I'm really excited to work with those guys. I hope we were able to 
figure it out scheduling wise, because that would be pretty awesome to talk with both of them. Uh, but Lorenzo Neal, man, that's a that's a pretty awesome name just to kind of give you guys an idea uh, what Believe Podcast has been able to put together throughout all of its shows. So uh, we're going to get out of here momentarily. Jay, is there anything else you want to let people know to look forward to in terms of both the podcast as well as over on the Jaguars wire? Nah, man, like you said, we're going to reach out to Izzy Lorenzo legend, man, like that guy. It's plenty of highlights of him running through people and running the ball that like I wouldn't mind asking him about that on the podcast, man. But I probably we probably won't digress from the point and, and go from away from the game. But, you know, that would be interesting. Going to try and reach out to the L.A. market as well. Uh, maybe join some radio shows or whatever, you know, talk some Jags football as well, aside from the Believe Network. And, uh, yeah, you know, as we always do on the Jaguars Wire, we'll look at some, uh, you know, things. Uh, to consider with this uh, Chargers team, which, you know, albeit they only have one win, uh, they are a team that is very interesting and a team that has a rookie quarterback that's playing on a high level at the moment. Yeah, Justin Herbert, another guy who um, will leave a lot of people wondering, you know, what could have been uh, as far as a lot of a lot of hype around Justin Herbert. Uh, but let's I would just say let's pump the brakes a little bit and see uh, what, what happens going forward. But that being said, you guys, one more time before we get out of here as a reminder, if you are enjoying the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five star review uh, along with subscribing as well. That is one of the best ways you can support us. You can also follow us on Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary and tune in again. We are at Believe.com and at Believe Podcast. You can tweet the show at Believe in Jags Pod. You can find me at Phil the Filipino, F-I-L-I-P-I-N-O. And Jay is over at Sports Grind underscore Dawn. And remember to follow the Jaguars Wire pretty much anywhere in terms of, of course, the website, Facebook, and Twitter for all the up-to-date Jacksonville Jaguars news. This has been the Believe in the Jaguars podcast right here on the Believe Podcast Network. We believe. Do you? We will see you next time, guys.